Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Hi, and welcome to the DuoD podcast from NHS Employers. I'm Paul Taylor. This is our second organisational development podcast, and we follow on from episode one, which was about defining organisational development, with a story today about the application of OD. In today's episode, we're going to focus on one organisation, Bradford District Care Trust, and look at how they've put organisational development at the heart of their business, and how they've put patients at the heart of everything they do. It's a fascinating story involving opera singers, cheerleaders and working women. It's a story about the art of the possible. You don't want to miss this. As always, you can get involved in the conversation about OD by tweeting us at NHSE underscore do OD or by joining the NHS OD network group on LinkedIn. If you go on LinkedIn, you can do a search for organisational development and you'll find us there. Leave us a comment about the podcast. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. So the background to the episode today is that we wanted to showcase an organisation that puts patients at the heart of everything it does, including organisational development. Working in OD and HR, as you know, it's always exciting. I'm sure you'll agree no two days are ever the same. But our clients, and if you can see me doing quotation fingers around the word clients, are normally the staff of the organisations that we work in. When the organisation is the NHS, there's another connection that needs to be made, and that's to the people who use our services. Often in the NHS, OD practitioners and the wider HR community struggle to make connections between our work and the impact it has on patients. It's become a bit of a mission for us. So I'm really excited to share the story of Bradford District Care Trust with you today, because they've got hard evidence, actual proper evidence, that shows the link between their top level board-owned OD strategy and improvements in quality of life for the people they serve. So let's get straight into it. Let's take you on a journey in your mind to where we start at the Trust headquarters in Saltaire, just outside Bradford. Now, if you haven't been to Saltaire, like me, it's a shock to the system. It's a bit like a model village frozen in time. Lovely place to visit. At the Trust HQ, we got a fantastic welcome when we arrived. One of the first things you notice about their reception is there's a trophy cabinet full of awards that they've won for their work. It's really impressive. There's photos of staff, there's photos of service users on every wall. Uh, There's a picture of Simon, their chief exec, with the caption, tell me what I can do better. You just get the impression as soon as you walk in that it's an organization with a sense of pride. And we wanted to start the story with the top level strategic view of organisational development and HR in the organisation. So I met with Sandra Knight and Steve Keyes. Here's how they introduced themselves and their organisation. I'm Sandra Knight, uh, Director of Human Resources and Organisation Development. Uh, I've worked within this organisation since 2007. I've worked mostly in HR and OD in the public sector over the last 20 years. Uh, And this, I have to say, is one of the most diverse, interesting, challenging organisations and jobs that I've ever had. Um, And that's why I'm still here after several years. I'm Steve Keyes, Leadership and Organisation Development Manager. Um, Sandra's already explained some of the context. Um, My background isn't public sector. I basically come from private sector organisations and I had my own business for for eight years in consultancy. And I was only going to come here for a year. 
and I'm almost into my fifth year here. And I think that says something in itself about the organisation. And I absolutely love working here. Now, what you might notice from that is just how, without asking, they both really casually talk about how great it is to work for the organisation, despite really complex challenges. The list of things that they're trying to tackle, all these challenges, they just roll off the tongue. And we went on to talk about what it is about the HR and the OD function in the organisation that's different. And what came out was a determination to make a connection back to service users and patients. Here's Steve again. So we're not some HR department that's beavering away in the background doing stuff that probably annoys a lot of the staff. I really feel connected with the staff, our communities, and also with our patients and services, which is, which is really important. I think we all feel that as well. So I can see that full circle. It's very easy to see, but you can only see that, I think, if you go out there and actually you meet those people face to face. And I don't think particularly, um, in my experience so far, is that we're very good at doing that in the health service, so to speak. Because it's very easy to sit behind a desk and to do your stuff and to be connected to staff. But I think if you can be more connected to patients and service users, then I think that really, for me, you know, really makes it. So already we quickly got into a conversation about making the connection to patients. And just so you know, during the interviews, you'll hear us talk about patients, service users, people who use our services. You know what we mean, it's all the same thing. It just depends on your uh, place of work. So Steve said that the connection with service users is what really makes it for the organisation. And to illustrate this, he told me this great story about when he joined the organisation and as part of his induction, he went to visit a project, kind of a community allotment, where people with learning disabilities would work and they would sell the produce that they grow. Uh, Steve went along to meet with one of the managers and to spend some time with some of the service users. Uh, the service manager said to me, I'm going to have to go and do something else now. I'm just going to leave you here. And I was terrified. And I think part of the reason for that is because I was somehow thinking I needed to behave in a different way and that I couldn't quite be myself. And uh, I had the best time ever, uh, you know, just in working with these two service users. And I spent a couple of hours just, just working with them. And we never talked to each other because we couldn't, really. But we really communicated at quite a deep level. So we were smiling at each other, putting our arms around each other, laughing, you know, really enjoying ourselves. And we were really in the moment around this stuff. And the manager came back. And, and, and off I went, and I was in the car on the way back home, and I was thinking to myself, if we could really create an organisation where everybody felt as connected as what I've just been for those two hours, imagine how great that would be. Oh, imagine indeed. And that idea started to shape how Steve and Sandra approached organisational development. Because I don't know about you, but I've worked in organisations where OD has sometimes been used to plug holes or to try and fix things that have gone wrong. And what struck me about this light bulb moment that Steve had in the allotment or driving home afterwards was that this emotional connection to service users became one of the golden threads of their OD strategy. It was something to really aspire to. I asked Sandra to explain what their OD model looks like. Well, the OD model and process really underpins delivery of our five-year integrated business plan. And it's, it is the oil, if you like, it's the lubricant or the golden thread, we tend to call it the golden thread, that's going to run through everything we do, that's going to help us to achieve our key business objectives over the next five years. So it's very much 
owned by the board, by the chief executive, by the directors. So I think it's, it's owned at the top of the organisation, but its impact is from bottom up. I really love that idea that the strategy is owned at the top of the organisation, but the impact is from the bottom up. For me, it's, it's driven by our structure around vision, purpose, values and associated behaviours. So we have a clear vision, as most organisations do, about what we want to achieve. And underpinning that is, and how are we going to achieve that? You know, what do we stand for in terms of what we think the behaviours are that really define Bradford District Care Trust? And so we, we have articulated under, under each of those values what those precise behaviours are that you will see if that value is being lived out. And that we've developed those behaviours with staff, with clients, with service users into a framework. And we apply that in our recruitment, our selection. They underpin our leadership programme. So when we're selecting people for exciting futures, we assess them not only around their technical leadership potential in terms of being able to manage people budgets, but also about behaviour. Because we think the difference between a, an OK leader and an outstanding one is how they engage, inspire, motivate, feel, create empathy with their staff and with service users. So their values and behaviours are developed by and with staff and they're the underpinning stuff in terms of recruitment, talent development and other HR processes. You'll have heard Sandra mention something there called exciting futures. This was a really fascinating discussion, we're going to come back to that in a second, so hold that thought. But in the meantime, I was interested to find out more about how their approach to OD works in practice and how they've managed to make that connection to patients. Steve talked about their vision wheel, which Sandra explained in more detail. We have got um, a very sort of structured approach to dealing with OD um, strategy and OD actions. Um, and as Steve said, the heart of it is what we call our um, vision wheel, which uh, sets out patient in the centre, our five values, respect, openness, improvement, excellence and together round the patient in the centre. Then we've got around the periphery of that circle, we've got our four key strategic aims, which are around relationships, value for money, quality and patient experience. So that vision wheel appears on everything that we produce on our corporate literature, on our website, intranet, uh, our training programmes, at induction. So all staff understand the vision wheel and it's embedded at the heart of the OD strategy. So it's patient in the centre, vision, values, strategic aims. We started to get under the skin of the OD strategy and focused in on one of the key elements talent management. And that's the Exciting Futures programme that Steve uh, pioneered really in and introduced into the organisation. And the whole purpose of that is to identify specific projects that staff and service users and patients have said will make a real difference to their lives and to get teams of aspirant leaders and managers together at various levels around those particular projects to deliver something that is going to make a difference to those individuals' lives. So it's a way of dealing with leadership development and talent management in a very different way. Instead of simply developing leaders by sending them on training courses or putting them through development programmes, the Trust pulls together these talented people and forms them into teams who are then fired at the organisation to work on specific projects. Again, this approach is about putting patients in the centre and helping staff to make that emotional connection. Here's Steve talking about the Exciting Futures project. If we start from the notion of what projects could we use that could connect not only individuals and staff, but also connect them to service users, 
and then underpin that by some development, then that would be a pretty cool thing to do. But the premise behind it is that I say to managers, I can give you five or six people to work on a project uh, and the managers usually have no resource to be able to deliver it. So I can give you five people to be able to deliver this project for you. I suppose it's a bit like a, a it's, I'd describe it um, as, a, as a, um, a kind of a combination between uh, The Apprentice and Challenge Annika, I suppose is the best way to describe it. Doesn't that sound brilliant, a cross between The Apprentice and Challenge Annika? And for anyone under the age of 35 who's never heard of Challenge Annika, you need to go on YouTube and check it out. Projects teams are made up of people from all different levels of the organisation. So you might have a nurse working with a band two that works on reception or a healthcare assistant. We've had eight air managers working with cleaners. You know, it's all of these sorts of things. And actually what we look at is we look at what we call bench strength. So in other words, what is it that pre people can bring to that project? I'm not really that interested about what job that you do. I'm more interested about your attitudes and your values and actually what you can bring to the project. So we're back to values, we're back to attitude. It's those that make these project teams stand out. It's not about hierarchy. Um, I love that idea of bench strength, about teams being able to achieve more than the sum of their parts. But there is development on offer too. Each of the participants in the programme have an individual coach through the lifetime of the project, and the projects last typically for nine months. Each of the project teams also has a team coach that works with them for the lifetime of the project and just helps them think through different things. So they're not there as a, an additional member of the team, they're just there to help and facilitate their thinking. And at the end of it, people, without fail, come through a fantastic journey because what we're doing is we're giving them real stretch assignments, we're bringing people together that have usually never met each other. Um, and at the end of it, out of this learning journey, people learn such tremendous things. And of course, we deliver a project. And our goal, of course, is this connection back to service users. So at our graduation event, we get people to present the project present what they've learned and also and quite often we have service users there in the room talking about what difference it's made to them in their lives. I asked Sandra for some examples of the projects that Exciting Futures has already worked on and we got a great list. And we've had some fantastic projects like uh, we took a, a group of cheerleaders uh, of learning disability clients into a national and then an international cheerleading competition. Um, we set up a library for clients who use our low secure services who are there longer term, uh, so we set up a, a resource for them whilst they're there. Um, we've uh, recently developed a project around bags of inspiration where we had working women who work on the streets develop an opportunity for them to create bags to sell to hopefully give them the education to get away from the lifestyle that they want to break away from. And the, the, the leaders, the aspirant leaders who work in those teams on those projects and raise the money really see the impact of what they're doing and that I think take, takes them into their leadership career in the trust with that as their driving motivation. It links them directly to clients and to our values and what we're about. So Sandra mentioned there the Bags of Inspiration project. There's a service that's part of the Care Trust that works with women who sell sex on the streets of Bradford. The manager of that working women's service approached Steve with an idea for inclusion in the Exciting Futures project. So what happened was the women would work together to design a bag. She said, if we can get one woman off the streets to come and be part of doing a, some sort of project, then it'll be an absolutely brilliant thing to be able to have done. 
anyway, like most of these projects, it kind of grows from a very small seat into something much larger. And so the notion of a, a bunch of women coming together every week to create um, some bags that they did design for themselves that then would be sold um, to Joe Public would be a great thing. The, the ladies themselves, what they wanted to do was to get it into Harvey Nicks, this bag. They've not succeeded yet, but I've no doubt at all that at some point that you'll see these bags in Harvey Nicks. Um, and so they produced these canvas bags, which are fabulous, with their own designs on it. And also each of those bags has its own story inside about the reasons uh, that they've made these bags. So it's back to this narrative. So I think when people understand what the project is and the narrative that goes behind it, people are very willing then to give very generously uh, to buy these bags. In addition to that, it's also been supported by Kay Miller, who is the writer of Band of Gold, who comes from Bradford. Um, which is fabulous as well. So she endorses the bag and obviously that's helped to some extent around the marketing. So the project team have worked with these women to create these bags, to market them, to bring them to market and to sell. We thought this sounded like a fascinating project, totally unique and very meaningful. So we delved a bit deeper. Remember Steve earlier talked about those project teams, how they're pulled together and how they're given some support. Well, we met with Joanne, who was one of the team coaches allocated to the Exciting Futures project. And she was the team coach for the Working Women project. Joanne was brilliant. She was so positive and enthused about the work that she'd been doing and asked her how it was when she was working with the team who supported the Working Women project. It was fairly, very interesting because I hadn't coached a team uh, with with anything like this for for quite some some time, and I was really I, I was actually looking forward to, to actually doing that because coming from a training background and the personnel background, I like to see how people grow anyway, and the team themselves were so enthusiastic. They actually just went straight in there, full of ideas, and so for me, in a way, it was quite an easy job. To, to actually coach them but I found them really enthusiastic they were a fantastic group of professionals they really were and the fact that they've achieved what they set out to achieve um, made my life easy they were in it for the ladies to enable them to give them more self-esteem and to motivate them to doing something and they gained the respect of the women I think and the time that they actually put in uh, to enabling them to do that it does sound good, doesn't it? We had to find out more about this project, so we left Saltair and headed for Industrial Bradford. Uh, we headed to a part of the town that was quite run down. It felt quite deprived. Uh, we went to the home of the Working Women's Project and there we met Shelley, who's one of the drugs workers who works with the women. Um, my role here is I'm a specialist drugs worker. Um, obviously most of the women that we work with here have got um, substance misuse issues, predominantly heroin and crack. So I support the women with that if they're not in treatment, I get them into treatment, I work with them on the harm reduction, work with them on their safer injecting techniques and we also have a drug clinic here where some of the women attend to get the scripts. But I then care coordinate, so we would formulate a care plan for each client, we do a, a, a specialist assessment and then we'd pull out of the assessment what support is needed and that would go in the care plan. And then we'd coordinate that between ourselves and the liaison support workers um, to sort of push that care plan forward really and, and get things put in place. 
it sounds like quite a job. I wondered how it felt on a day-to-day basis. It is demanding. Um, I mean, you achieve what you achieve on the day and you go away and, and, and you take that as a positive, no matter how small an achievement that may be. And there are some times when it doesn't go to plan and things fail and fall down, but you, you take that away and you think, right, well, I'll, I'll start again with that tomorrow. But we always take the positive home, no matter how small that positive is. I asked Shelley to describe the process of how they identified the project to work on with the Exciting Futures team. Again, this was driven from service users being at the heart of the project. We got the Inspirational Team of the Year Award, which came with £1,000. So we sort of asked the women, we threw a questionnaire out to them, what did they want the money to be spent on because it was their money. Um, and they came up with quite a few ideas and that sort of seemed to be the one that we were all happy with. So Michelle, uh, my team leader, and myself had a meeting with Steve Keys, and it just went from there. We just told him what our idea was and then we heard that we'd got, you know, chosen and it was going to be taken forward. So we were really, really pleased. So far, so good. So what happened? How did it go? We didn't know how it would work at the beginning. We knew what we wanted, but we didn't know how we could achieve it. But we knew where we wanted to go with it and we just all used our skills and resources together to get and to achieve it. And the women were fantastic. I've been not surprised, but quite inspired by the talent, enthusiasm that the women have. And there's a lot of latent talent there and they just need a bit of direction and a bit of support to actually get that talent out. And what did they notice happening as a result of the project? For us as workers to see on a daily basis, you know, the changes within the women themselves and the stuff that they keep saying to us. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, some have got, you know, the lifestyles have changed because of it. Not drastically, but they'll continue to change. And, and that's the whole, you know, that, that's, that can only be a positive for the women to, to just keep going on in the future with. It's given them a sense of belonging as well because it's been their group really and it's been their ideas. Um, so they've never in their lives have they had anything that has ever sort of really belonged to them that they've had um, any sort of achievement in. And, and it, it's giving them that and letting them have the lead on it. And they've proved that, you know, that there's something in there that with a little bit of motivation and, and confidence building, it, it can come out and it will continue to come out and it has changed the lives. It was really impressive to hear about this work. It was great to meet Shelley, to meet Joanne, people who were really making a difference. But there's always a tiny part of me that's saying, okay, show me the evidence of, of the impact that this has had, the difference that it's made at grassroots level. What we were finding here was that Sandra and Steve, from their strategic plan, had put in place a process for teams to be supported to work on projects that really made a difference. But there was a piece missing, and the piece that was missing for us was the women themselves. We met with four of the women who worked on the Bags of Inspiration project. They were in the art room, they were working on designs for the next bag that they're going to be producing and we were lucky enough to be able to spend some time with them and talk about the project and how it made them feel. Just so you know, we spoke to the women about what we were going to do with the recording and uh, we agreed that we wouldn't use their actual voices on our podcast uh, for reasons of confidentiality. So we're using their words, we haven't changed what they said, but we have re-recorded their voices with uh, some of our colleagues in the office.
So we spent some time with the women talking about the project and their hopes for the future. Uh, the women were very excited about the project, about the bags they were making. They were already working on the next design for the next bag, so there was glitter everywhere. And they talked about their aspirations for selling the bag in Harvey Nichols. We talked to them about their involvement in the project and how that had made them feel. And what started to come through for us wasn't just the bags themselves and the, uh, the physical output of the project, but we could tell that this was having an impact on how the women felt about themselves. It gives you something to think to yourself that you've managed to do some after years of uh, abusing your body, your mind and your soul, I suppose. Then you go and make something like that. It's really good. Yeah, makes you feel good. That feeling of achievement, that sense of doing something positive was kind of tangible in the room. And when we spoke to the women, it became apparent that this wasn't just about uh, practical support like a shower or a hot meal. One of the women talked about her mental health issues and how the project was actually helping her with that. Uh, I asked her if it made a difference. Yeah, definitely. Because my voices and stuff aren't as bad when I'm occupied in something like this. It's really, um, really does keep you occupied. So you're not concentrating on like negative stuff. It's all positive. It does make you a better person. It makes you want to do something better with yourself. We used our specialist skills to, to get the women motivated to constantly keep chipping away. They may not have come for the first 10 sessions, but then we got them here and it was just keeping that going really. So not only was the project giving the women a sense of purpose, it was making a practical difference to their lives, it was also helping them with their mental health. One of the women talked about how her involvement in the project was helping to reduce her stress level. Me, I'm a bit of a hothead when I get stressed out and that, and it's calmed me down a lot when I've had things on my mind and stuff. I've just come in and just started doing designs and that and just wrecked my brain in that way instead of thinking about negatives. The other thing that we noticed was that it was giving the women a sense of pride in themselves, something that they maybe hadn't felt before. One of the women talked about her daughter and the happiness that her daughter felt when she saw the bag that her mum had made. My little seven-year-old girl, she's over the moon with it, like all the glitter and that. She's like, wow, have you made them? I'm like, yeah, bless her. And here I asked my favourite question of the day, which I thought was a great question. I asked if uh, her seven-year-old daughter helped her out with any of the designs. No, she's only seven. Well, that'll teach me for being smart. We were picking up this real sense of self-esteem that the women were getting from being involved in this project. And what about their hopes for the future? I want the artist sessions to carry on every single day, me. All day, all night. I'd sleep here if I could. It was a really powerful experience spending time with the women and finding out about how the project was making them feel and how it was actually changing their lives. It was a very important thing to do, to be able to see a project tracked from strategy to implementation to impact. And there's no doubt that the Bags of Inspiration project is having a dramatic effect on those women. When we spoke to Steve about it, a bigger thought seemed to emerge. This wasn't just about individual projects making separate changes. One of the underlying psychological approaches to this is around social movement. So this notion that we create a wave of change from the grassroots upwards. So these people that have been through this programme are now connected in a club 
that's unique to anything else that's happening within the organisation and you can tell that they're connected. So my overall vision has been to get as many people through the programme as we can to create almost a tipping point and Cotter's recently written an article about a volunteer army, I don't know if you've read it, called Accelerate and that's exactly the model that we've been doing here. So if John Cotter is saying this is a good thing to do then that's pretty cool actually that we've been doing it unintentionally here although you know with some psychological understanding about what some of those things are so that's that's pretty good really I think to, to be able So we've gone from an OD strategy that spots talent implements change projects to one that creates a social movement attempting to help staff make those emotional connections to patients at all levels it's really quite something we were coming to the end of our time in Bradford, so I asked Steve and Sandra about what gives them the confidence as an organisation to do this. What sets them apart? How does it feel to work here? I think we feel we've got a strong track record of achieving change and tackling really difficult, sometimes quite intransigent issues. And because we, we have done that, I think we're quite resilient I think we never lose sight of what we're here to do and what it's all about, which is the service user and patient. And it's that that keeps us going through the good times and, and the less good times. But we, we have got a lot of battle scars because we have had to deal with quite difficult, complex issues in, in difficult times, and we're not alone in that. But I think we've proved that we've got the resilience and the ability and the skills to be able to do that, and that gives us a confidence that whatever comes next, we can deal with it. And we see it as a challenge. We feel excited about it rather than daunted because we know we can achieve because we've done it in the past. And the results that they're getting from their work? Um, we're in the top 20% for, for trust of our type in terms of uh, staff satisfaction, motivation, engagement, and recommending the trust as a place to work and to receive treatment and care. And for us, being the top 20% is very important. Um, in, and in terms of maintaining that going forward, that's, that is critically important. But that's the result, I would say, of everything else that we've done around our OD strategy and plan. We all feel very passionate that we're not just an organisation that says we'll do this at some point. We really mean serious business and that we're determined to make those changes. And how will they achieve that in the future? It's around engaging everybody, I think, in a shared sense of what can be achieved and the art of the possible. I love that. It's the art of the possible. So what did we learn from our visit to Bradford? Well, I saw that OD can really change lives, that a document owned by the board, a strategic document that most staff will never see, can actually translate into action that changes and improves the lives of the people that you're working with. It was an incredibly powerful experience. So thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'd just like to thank everyone involved in the recording for sharing their stories. Thank you to Sandra, to Steve, to Joanne, to Shelley and to the Women of the Working Women Project in Bradford. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'd love to hear your reactions to the podcast. So you can tweet us at NHSE underscore duod or you can join the conversation in our LinkedIn group. Just search for NHS Organisational Development on LinkedIn. I'm Paul Taylor. Thanks very much for your time. Okay, just before you switch off, here's a two-minute 
afterword that I want to leave you with, a kind of a postscript. There was one more story that Stephen Sandra told about the organisation and it didn't quite fit in the right place of the story that we wanted to tell today, but it's a fantastic story and I just had to give you the opportunity to listen to it. So a couple more minutes from Stephen Sandra. Uh, this one will make you smile. Thanks for listening. We set up a choir in the Trust. I went in to see Simon and I said, I've got this idea about setting up a choir. And he says, well, that's fine as long as you don't expect me to sing. Go off and do it. And then he had up some brilliant ideas about linking the choir to dementia. And there's some evidence that suggests that singing and dance uh, helps people with, with, with memory difficulties. So that's what we did. So we got, we got this, uh, so with Opera North, who were, were brilliant, we got this guy from London to come up and to uh, basically get us all together. There was 50 plus staff. Uh, service users and carers, and uh, we rehearsed, didn't we? Mm-hmm. we and, we, did. and we had a, we had an absolutely fantastic time, and I think part of it was back to this connection. So there were people in that room, part of the choir. There was doctors, nurses. There was corporate staff. There was just about every level of different staff that you could think of, all connected around this theme of bringing people together to sing. We put on a an event in Leeds. Together with Opera North, we got some um, real-life opera singers to come and join us, uh, and they did a couple of pieces, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And we did our piece, and we had, we had an absolutely fantastic time, and we, you know, we made a few quid. And uh, as I said, you know, we went on and then used that money to to work in the community with other services as well, really. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was that those opera singers, they didn't charge any money; they just did it because they loved it and thought it was a fantastic idea. And when my family were in the audience and they were looking out and seeing us all there, but they were seeing, you know, the art service users, patients there at the front singing and dancing, holding one lady, holding yes. her husband's hand. And it really, it did bring a lump to your throat. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't see it. My daughter saw it and said it was really powerful, you know, just seeing that. Yeah. So, and, and you could yeah. see that that patient that was at the front was so yeah. in it and so happy. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was great. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs>